and welcome to episode 71 of the BMcast. Not a podcast that is a game's proprietary digital offering yet immediately screws up and crashes the second any set is live, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I am Scott and I am joined by the Hullbreaker Horror herself, Emma. How are you doing this week? Yeah, doing okay. Bit tired but can't complain. Um, so mm-hmm. I have a bit of an announcement to make this week Ooh. that I'm leaving Gfinity MTG Rocks after nearly nine months. Mm. It was a tough decision. But ultimately, I wasn't happy and it was starting to take a burden on my mental health. And it's very important to think of yourself and what's best for you. Especially with stuff like content, it's very important to enjoy what you do because passion is like your point of reference for creating content. So if you don't enjoy it, you can't produce good content. Mm -hmm. So I've stepped away and I immediately feel better after a few days of, you know, been leaving. So that's good. In terms of work, what I'm going to be doing going forward is that I'll be going full-time freelancer so expect to see my name mm. dotted around like OGM, Polygon, Dicebreaker, all the usual places over the next few months. So yeah, that, that's Good. my big big announcement. Mm. Um, I feel better for it already so I know I've made the correct decision. Good. You know. um, cool. In terms of magic, I have spent this week updating my cube because Crimson Vow previews are all done and dusted. Fortunately, it's a small update this time around. So we've mm. got Heroes Downfall, First of Discovery, Wandering Mind and Mark of Waltz are all coming in. If you're interested and you want to see the whole Peasant Cube list, it's in the show notes. Otherwise, I'd managed to play a little bit of Cube as well uh, this week, which was nice. Um, and I checked out a new LGS which opened in town called Greek Retreat. Um, it's like a franchise in England. They're quite popular, um, but one's just opened okay. in Ipswich. And it's really nice to have an LGS that isn't just all magic, whereas my local one, mm. the one that I go to, Langdon Games, which is mostly magic, this one does a lot of D&D and Warhammer as well. So there's that nice cool. diversity in the town centre, which is nice. Mm. Outside of work and magic, I have started my application for the Great British Bake Off for next year because I fancy having a stab mm. on it and, you know, promoting the BM cast on TV. So why not? <laughs> <laughs> How about you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's... I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I, uh, I got a nice gift in the mail this week, first of all, from the lovely folks over at Dragon Shield. Uh, they sent me a bunch of their matte dual sleeves to try out. Ooh. So I reviewed them, as always, unpaid and unbiased, of course, you know, over on my Twitter. So you can go check that out if you're thinking of resleeving some stuff soon. My article this week is the Upgrade Guide for the Spirit Squadron Precon, which, as the name suggests, is the Spirit Tribal deck. So I go into what's good about it, what's bad, and how to upgrade it on a $50 budget, give or take, uh, to be able to shovel it up with a typical mid-power level kind of pod. That's live on Car Kingdom now, so be sure to check that out after the show. And yesterday, as of the time of recording, it's Sunday, so yesterday was Saturday, this was a weird one for me, right? So, as I'm sure you know, I've said it before, I'm not one for movies, like, pretty much at all. However, I spent the whole of yesterday watching movies uh, with my partner Leanne, and that's actually, in the six odd years that we are together, that is, I think, the first time we've ever done that. Wow, really? Yeah, that's how, like, not movies we are, okay. you know? Because, like, the thing is, the, the concept of, like, sitting down for, like, two hours... Oh, God, awful, awful. Oh, it's just... Whew, no, awful, <laughs> terrible. But sitting down and watching like three or four hours or more of like a TV show, it's great because I know that after 20 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever, you can stop it if you want to. Yeah. I don't, you know. It's just the knowledge that it's there, you know. But what we did was uh, we started to catch up on Marvel movies because we kind of fell off after Infinity War and didn't bother keeping up with it really because like we're not huge into the franchise. We're like, oh, it's cool. And while we're watching it, we're like, yeah, this is badass. But like afterwards, we're like, yeah, grand. Yeah. It was, you know, good, you know. So, finally got around to watching Thor Ragnarok, which was very good, to be fair. And we also watched Captain Marvel specifically to see what all the neckbeards were pissy about. 
And turns out they just don't like good movies or women. Yeah. So, you know, surprise, or women surprise. Leads, probably as well. Yeah. That's a lot to do with it, I suspect. Yeah. So this is the thing. I thought it was really, really good. Like the on-screen relationships were fantastic. And like there was no forced romance in the entire movie whatsoever because it wasn't relevant to the story. So they didn't just shoehorn it in. Uh, The conversations between all the different characters were like really organic. It felt natural conversation wise. And there were a lot of really nice moments that just simply would not have been possible if the main character was a man whose emotional range swung directly from being cold and snarky and emotionless to being an angry, raging buffoon. Yeah. So... It was it was really nice, and I think more movies could just stand to do that, you know. So, just just saying, if anyone, you know, didn't like it, maybe ask yourself why that is. Yeah. But uh, the one of the other movies we watched as well was Kiki's Delivery Service, Ooh, good film. which, yeah, like all other Ghibli movies, is warm and whimsical and Love lovely, and it's it's a it's a really great watch. I also feel I should use my platform for something important here, and that is that uh, if anyone thinks it's Studio Ghibli, you're wrong. You are wrong. It's Ghibli. In Japan, when you go to the uh, the Ghibli like amusement park or the museums or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, the tour guides specifically say, like, anyone that's not from Japan, it's pronounced Ghibli, not Ghibli. Because everybody outside of Japan just is like, oh, Ghibli. And that's just not how You pronounce it as a J whatsoever. instead of a G, I'm guessing, right? It's just Ghibli. Basically. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But they are like... Yeah, I only found it out a couple of years ago um, when I went to Japan. So, you know, every day is a school day. Yes. Uh, and then finally, I started a new D&D campaign recently. So I was playing a short campaign in Call of Cthulhu with some friends um, and we kind of hated it. Um, to be clear, I'm a player, not a DM. And I particularly hated it because I like my escapism to have no real reflection of reality. And that was completely ruined for me in Call of Cthulhu when I turned down trying to hop a four foot gap from one first floor balcony to another because there was a very real chance that my character would just end up permadead. Yeah. Like, that's no fun. That's, not, that's no. no fun. It's not whimsical <laughs> so, either. Right? Right? So <laughs> we finished it up shortly afterwards and went back to D&D 5e. And this time, our DM, James, he decided to go with my suggestion, which was to set the new campaign in the world of Ooh, which is the world uh, that Adventure Time is based in. And we found homebrew content for the different species in Ooh, like Candy People and Rainicorns and everything, so you could fit in better with the world. And my new character is one of my favourites. So they're a lumpy space bard, and their name is Jerome. Jerome. And he has a he has a cloud-shaped floating music box that he uses to play all sorts of sounds, and I use my software uh, my music software to mm. make the sounds as we play the game and he calls it his SoundCloud and he keeps encouraging everyone to check it out it sounds so good <laughs> my SoundCloud is so good so yeah it's, it's really funny uh, I'm really really enjoying it it's absolute chaos it's absolute chaos of course it is it's D&D like, and Adventure Time <laughs> it, it feels like it feels like we're just improving episodes of Adventure Time and it's nice. amazing and I love it yeah okay. so good <laughs> so moving on from my <laughs> what seems to be tradition now unbelievably long intros <laughs> have we got any housekeeping this week uh, Emma yes we do so we'd like to give a warm welcome to Morgan Roberts who is the latest member of the Cheery Fanatic tier on Patreon mm. so thanks a lot Morgan and enjoy all the benefits nice if you enjoy the BM cast and would like to support them you can become a patron for as little as three dollars you'll get access to all of the notes and deck lists they use on the show And their $7 tier gives you VIP access to the greatest budget resources of any magic podcast. So what are you waiting for? 
Visit patreon.com forward slash budget magic cast to level up your game and get your stonks on. All right, Emma. So tell us this week, what is your card of the week? Um, so my card of the week is one I'm not sure you'd like because it's got David in it and it's a white blue Oof. card. And I know how you feel about <laughs> David's veto. Um, so my card of the week this week is David Hand of Control from World of the Spark. Mm. So for two generic mana and a white-blue hybrid, you get a legendary planeswalker that starts on five loyalty. And it reads... Uh, so all the planeswalkers from all the Spark have a passive ability. Um, so this one is artifacts, instants, sorcery spells, your opponent's cast costs one more to cast. And then Dovin has a minus one ability that reads, until your next turn, prevent all damage that would be dealt to and dealt by target permanent and opponent controls. So it's a nice asymmetric stack piece in terms of a commander. Mm. With these planeswalkers, you don't have to use the minus one at all because you just have this really good passive ability. So you can just have it as like a stacks effect and just ignore yeah. the minus one. Um, also out of like lightning bolt range, which is relevant as well. It's easy enough to add these counters to planeswalkers as well, thanks to you know the various ways to double up counters and move counters mm. onto permanents. So you can keep like recycling that minus one if you need to. Um, if you've got like a problem threat on the board. The effect also stops like punishing effects, so stuff like Idol on the Great Revel and Harsh Mentor, it yeah. negates any damage from that, which is really important because a lot of those effects tend to hit everybody, but you can stop yourself. Um, also, it is like a budget placeholder on Fawn of Amethyst in Commander, and that card's really expensive. Yeah. yeah. If you're yeah, in those colours, obviously. Like, I know Fawn, yeah. Fawn the Amethyst is colourless and this is blue-white, but if... If you're in blue-white, you're probably playing stacks anyway, because, you know, that's, like, the best stacks colour, let's be honest. So, yeah, like, this is a really good placeholder on Fawn the Amethyst as well. Mm. Yeah, it's a good card. It's, and it's very good. 35 cents. I was going to say, this is this is the big draw to it. It's 35 cents, yeah. whereas Thorn of Amethyst is definitely not. Because it's a law and rare that hasn't been reprinted, so it's going to be, like, right. a million pounds. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good card. Like, I have used it. I've actually used it in the sideboard of some modern decks um, nice. in different situations. It is very, very good. Yeah, I've added it to my cube recently and I've been quite impressed with it as well because it just does enough. Cool. And it's the yeah. fact it has a mo- only minus abilities means it will have to die at some point if you keep using it, which I quite yeah. like on these as well. Yeah, for sure. All right, so this week we are going to be talking about modern. Specifically, new modern decks that we've brewed up using Crimson Vow cards. So we have three decks that we're going to talk about this week. Each one has a new Crimson Vow card in it. We're going to talk about the deck, what the deck does, and then what does the new card add to this deck. Now, these are obviously going to be budget versions of the deck. If you want to try and upgrade them from this point, you know, it. usually just look at the, the higher metagame decks. You know, like there's going to be some decks here that you will have seen already that will be missing some of the more expensive things. Like, for example, we have a red deck here that doesn't have Ragavan because... You can well, afford for obvious, obvious reasons. Yeah. No one, I say. <laughs> so, without further ado, I think I'm going to start us off with one of my favourite brews, possibly ever. Um, Given the conversation we had before recording, I would say so too. Yeah. So, <laughs> so before recording, not I'm not normally one to toot my own horn, and like you know. All joking aside, Emma, you'll probably agree with that. I, yes. I don't normally just sit here and be like, oh, I'm great. But like when I'd finished this deck, I was like, all of these pieces just work so well together and it's all just so clever. I'm surprised that I came up with it was kind of the angle that I was kind of going with it. And that is Mono Black Food Reanimator, right? So I tried this before and we didn't quite get there. 
But I think we're at a point now where this is legitimately a thing. So what the deck does is it has the food package using Asmorana, Mardica, Dice, and Akuldakar, which I will say every opportunity I can, because I can. And... <laughs> and it uses that food package so that's uh, herself the underworld cookbook and oval chase daredevil in order to keep looping the oval chase daredevil into the bin getting it back into the bin getting it back in order to make food every single turn it then uses the feasting troll king which is a seven six with vigilance and trample and you sacrifice three foods to bring it from the graveyard into play it uses that to make use of any excess food that you have and also it has the Unmarked Grave and Persist package to be able to go over the top with things like Archon of Cruelty or Sarah's Emissary. And the Cat Oven combo is also in there because it is another food yeah. synergy kind of loop thing. So Witch's Oven and Cauldron Familiar. What's really impressive about this deck is that all the different angles of this deck, the Cat Oven, the Persist reanimation, the food package, all this stuff all work together, but in different ways. So Unmarked Grave, for example, normally you would go and fetch up an Archon of Cruelty or something, put it into the bin to be able to persist it back. But if you don't need or want that, you can go and get an Oval Chase Daredevil and put it into the bin if you need one to enable your Underworld Cookbook. Or you can put a Cauldron Familiar in the bin so you can start looping a Witch's Oven. Uh, the Witch's Oven itself gives you value out of the creatures that are targeted with removal. So say, for example, if you reanimate a Terastodon, you can then sacrifice it to Witch's Oven, make two foods, use that food to kill something else with Asmorana, Mardika, Dice, and Akuldakar, and then you can just go and reanimate the Terastodon again with another Persist. Like, there are ways to just keep looping all the value. And then if you do sacrifice one of the bigger creatures and make the two foods, that's two-thirds of the way towards getting Feasting Troll King back and everything as well. So they all just sort of slot together in all these really weird and, like, unusually synergistic ways yeah. that I... To be honest, when I was building the deck, I didn't really intend for all of these synergies to happen. I discovered them after I put the cards together and went, huh, that's neat. neat. So, honestly, yeah, it's really, really good. It sounds... It looks sweet and it sounds sweet, but honestly, it kind of reminds me of, like, a a modern cube deck that you've just kind of like drafted together. It's got all kind these of. different <laughs> angles of tax and all these different cards. It just feels like something I would draft in a modo mod- modern cube, which is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's mm. just, there's a lot of piece, moving pieces, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they all just generally work together, which and they're is all just good. the unusual part. Yeah. Now, the new card that we've added to the deck is Blood Fountain. So it's a single black mana for an artifact that reads, when it enters the battlefield, you make a blood token, which is pay one, tap discard a card and sacrifice this artifact to draw a card and then it has an activated ability of three and a black and tap and sacrifice blood fountain to return up to two target creature cards from your graveyard to your hand so blood fountain first of all is a turn one play that can give you a discard outlet in the form of the blood token the blood token can be used to enable asmorana mardica dice and the car so that you can play her on turn two uh, you can put a persist target in the bin or you can pitch a cauldron familiar in order to bring it back later with some food Um, It also helps you dig further into your deck to help find lands or answers or threats. The second ability on it to return creatures from graveyard to hand gives you even more redundancy against removal. And it also lets you get back Oval Chase Daredevils immediately because it itself is an artifact. So, like, there are so many incidental little synergies that just make this into what feels like the glue that holds the deck together, which is really impressive for a common from a new set. Like, it... It's bizarre how well it works in this deck, but it really, really works. 
Yeah, I kind of want to try um, Blood Fountain in like an affinity shell because you get two mm. artifacts off it. So you're essentially reducing the cost. Like you get an extra, you know, of the affinity, you get an extra token out of it. Um, and also, I feel like there's like someone with Urza decks as well that might want this as well because again, yeah, it's an artifact and it just discounts stuff. Like I think a lot of people glossed over this card when the previews came out, and I think it's secretly really really good to be honest i'm not surprised because it's a one mana common artifact like how good can they possibly be yeah it's a lot um, of learn from one horizons one at all <laughs> yeah i was gonna say don't look at arkham's astrolabe uh, <laughs> bad example <laughs> well another good example is um i know it doesn't make another token but you got witching world from throne of eldraine right that's like a mm-hmm. one mana artifact that does something right and that's in like mm-hmm. fringe modern play as well um but no I, i'm really excited for this one this looks really sweet i'm tempted to build it yeah. myself You'll be happy to know. <laughs> it looks good. Nice. So next up is something that's a little more my speed. And I want to mean my speed as in I like to scribble on my life pad repeatedly for a game of magic. Because we're going to talk <laughs> about white green life gain. So it's a riff on the soul sisters that we often see in modern mm-hmm. in like the lower tiers of modern. Um, so you have your you have your soul wardens and so forth. It's a grindy life gain deck that uses the green for like counter synergy. So as you have stuff like Ajani's Pride Mate and Treslasa. Um, you can use stuff like Conclave Mentor um, to double up these counters so your creatures just mm. grow and get out of hand very, very quickly. As you're a creature-heavy deck, so you have a lot of one-mana, one-offs and like one-mana, two-mana creatures, um, you can just get really aggressive and just curve out and kill people as well. And just that life gain itself will just yeah. boost your creatures. If you're against like a slow strategy, like Control or something, you can just kill them fairly early because your creatures are just so cheaply costed. Mm. You also have Eladamri's Call, which is another reason to be in green, because it means you can do it for a particular creature. So, for example, mm. if you're against a graveyard, like Matters deck, you've got uh, Scavenging Ooze to help maintain that, while also gains life and gets counters. Um, and if you're against like any like red black decks, which are pretty popular in modern at the moment, especially on yeah. Magic Online, you do have Sanctify on Vec as well that can just blow out the opponent on that front as well. Also in this list, you've got the Lurus package. So you've got Lurus and you've got Mistress Bubble. Mm. Not only is the package really good in modern, but I think that's a conversation for, no- for another day. Um, Lurus also has Lifelink which also just lends the whole synergy right up the deck. So, yeah. And you can you can build the deck without Lurus. So this deck is like $215. You can build it without the Lurus package and save yourself like $50 as well. Yep. So that's like $150-ish if you don't... Like, you don't need the cards, um, mm-hmm. but it just helps because the package itself is just in- inherently good. Yeah. And in terms of new cards from Crimson Val for this white-green life gain deck, it's Voice of the Blessed. So for two white, so it's two white pips, uh, you get a 2-2 that is a creature spirit cleric, and it reads, Whenever you gain life, put a plus one plus one counter on Voice of the Blessed. As long as Voice of the Blessed has four or more plus one plus one counters on it, it, it gains flying and vigilance. As long as Voice of the Blessed has ten or more plus one plus one counters on it, it has indestructible. So this is like a win condition for two mana, right? It's like a, another, yeah. a Johnny's pride mate, but an actual win condition. Like it win you the game if it just gets out of hand. Also, no, it triggers on every life gain, not just once mm-hmm. per turn. So it's going to get out of hand very quickly, right? Um, the best way to see this, I kind of see this as like a figure of destiny, but for life gain, it yeah, is it's that sort of like scale up modular sort of creature, right? And um, I, I tend to be quite a fan of those, but this just seems really, really good. 
Um, also, this card just feels like a rod for removal if it's left unresolved. Like, if you just leave it for a while, they have to deal with it because it's like, oh, geez, you know, they're on like eight counters or whatever. I need to remove mm. this before it gets indestructible. Very similar to Hex Drinker in that regard as well. Like, it can get really tricky to remove after a while. Yeah. But yeah, it's just a really good way just to have a win condition that's aggressively costed. And you can tutor for it as well because you've got Eldamary's Call as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's very sweet. It's, again, it's not really my kind of thing. But I can see, like, we've seen it before. At Johnny's Primate, people have tried to make work in Modern. Yeah. And it absolutely can work in Modern. But by itself, it's not enough. And I think I think Voices of Blessed is the kind of thing that is needed in order to make this more viable. Especially with the likes of uh, Trellisara and Moondancer as well. Mm. That is a nice little boost and probably one of the best reasons to be in green. Well, like you said, Conclave Mentor as well. Very, very good. Yeah, you double those counters as well. Ways. So it's like you, yeah. you only need five. If you have both of these, like, you only need to gain like mm. five instances, like life triggers, and then it's like indestructible and you just kill people. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. This kind of feels like the Helio combo deck, only with the combo taken out and just slimmed down quite a yes. lot. There's no, you've yeah, got no so. Utopia Sprawls, you've got no Collector Companies, you don't have the, yeah, don't have the two-card combo. Um, it seems very mm-hmm. fair, which is fine. I think in modern mm-hmm. it's good to be fair. But it's also really grindy because you have the Lurus package. So if your Voice of the Blessed gets put in the bin, you can just get it back, mm. attack with Lurus, gain some life and just carry on from there. Yeah, seems sweet. yeah it looks sweet. And then the third deck that we have, like I mentioned earlier, we have a red deck and this is Obosh Red. And this is a quote-unquote budget equivalent. So you've seen the Obosh Red decks now at this point. They have Ragavan, they have Fury, they have Season Pyromancer. And they're mono-red decks that cost up to about $1,000 or more. It's turned into a Modern Horizons block constructor deck. Got it. It's bananas. It's crazy how expensive it has gotten. But that's for the Tier 1 version. Now, what I think is important to note about the red decks in Modern in particular is that, yes, the best versions have Season Pyromancer and Fury and Ragavan and that kind of thing, but that doesn't mean that the other options in those slots are bad. Like, red is stacked, absolutely stacked in Modern. There are so many options for really, really good things, and this deck is a perfect example of it. So, what this deck wants to do, if you haven't seen this before, it wants to play a relatively fair, yet aggressively slanted game. It uses cards that are either extremely flexible, individually powerful or have multiple different effects so it does that through for example bone crusher giant it's a threat it's also a removal spell you have say lava dart which is two removal spells you use like dragon's race channeler which helps you filter your draws and also becomes a threat this kind of thing and it it runs stuff like blood moon because sometimes it's really really powerful and then you have say like Valakut Awakening for when you know you need to find more gas or if you have a couple of blood moons in hand and it's a matchup where it doesn't matter you can get rid of them, draw a new hand, that kind of thing. So it has an awful lot of late game potential and it grinds really, really hard because of this. And when you get to the late game, you then get Obosh, put it into your hand, play it, and then you use Obosh to push through the opponent's defenses for that last little push to get over the line. It's very, very good. It has proven itself to be a mainstay in the modern format for at least like a year and a half now at this point. Very, very solid. Even with the errata, is still very playable, isn't it? Mm. Like the companion Yeah, errata. for sure. Yeah. Now, what we have added to this deck is Chandra Dress to Kill. So this is one red-red for a three-loyalty Chandra Planeswalker. It has two plus one modes. The first plus one is add a red, and Chandra Dress to Kill deals one damage to up to one target player or Planeswalker. 
plus one is exile the top card of your library. If it's red, you may play the card this turn. And the minus seven is exile the top five cards of your library. You may cast red spells from among them this turn and you get an emblem with whenever you cast a red spell, this emblem deals X damage to any target where X is the amount of mana spent to cast that spell. Now, ignoring the ultimate, because let's be real, in most games, 99% of games, you're not going to get it. It's the other options that the card offers you. So the thing is, it gives you two things that this deck always needs more of, which is cards and mana. It's also a three drop, so it immediately slots into the Yobosh version without having to alter anything. You can immediately plus it to give you mana, which you can then use to bolt something or play out a cheap threat like a Boma Courier or a DRC or something. It's another card type that enables DRC's Delirium quicker. And on top of that as well, going from three mana on one turn to five mana the next turn with a land drop can be a huge game because that's enough to play a Stomp and the Bone Crusher. Or you can use a Valakut Awakening to pitch a bunch of cards and then still play stuff for that turn. Or you can bolt your opponent's face, then light up the stage and then even play a three drop off of it. Like there's some incredibly powerful turns directly after you play Chandra. And it also makes playing Obash just a little bit easier, which is always good. So this card basically just does everything this deck wants to do. Now, it does take up the slot of the Season Pyromancer, which, depending on the metagame and stuff, may be a better or a worse choice. But for what it does, this does an awful lot. Yeah, it's like a mini Chandra Tortoise Defiance, isn't it, really? Because you get a little bit of mana, you get a little bit of value off the top of your deck. And you have this ultimate that can be game-ending if you're just going to sling off enough spells. Another thing I like about the new Chandra is that the plus one ping, so it enables spectacle for your light up the stages as well, which is big game. Exactly. As well. So you get to play that off the plus one, which just seems really, really powerful, right? Yeah. And generating mana on a plus one like that is really good for a three mana planeswalker because it does make her feel like a two mana planeswalker because of exactly that reason you can play something else off of it going turn one play a drc turn two stomp something then turn three play chandra tick up ping your face light up the stage like your opponent is falling behind also her also her plus one with an oboe shout it's like a lightning bolt to the face like yep good it's very very good very very powerful I would say to... I don't know whether you should pick them up yet or not because it's a mythic in a standard set. I would probably wait too. At first, people weren't high on this card at all. Then people were like, wait, hold on a second. This is really good. And I think what's going to happen is it's going to settle down over the next like month or so, mm. I would say. And that would probably be the ideal time to pick it up. But if you just can't wait... Like, it's not the end of the world if you spend like They're $10 They're probably going to be cheaper than now. Season Pyromancers, yeah. let's be honest. Right? Yeah, <laughs> this is it. <laughs> So, yeah, it's it's really, really good. There's a lot of stuff from Crimson Vow that can influence and impact and even develop new decks for modern, which I was kind of surprised by Same. because it doesn't seem like the strongest set going. But there's just a lot of like little enablers or little role players that yeah, just seem to fit I, well in decks. Yeah. As I was saying to you before the recording, like I feel like there's a deck with Wandering Mind, which is the Is It 2 one that looks at mm. the top six non-land, non-creature. Like that was like ephemerate or something, or like we mentioned, like Yurion, that could be kind of fun. Like, because it's, it's like yeah. a blink, but it's not in traditional colors. You're going into Is It. I just mm. think that card's quite powerful. Yeah. Actually, we should probably do an episode soon on companions yeah. in modern and like how to build with companions in modern. Listeners, if this is something you want, let us know. Let us know over at the BM cast on Twitter. We can also rant about companions too. Mm. That we can definitely. That we, I can. Yeah. I, I might have something safe for that if we do it. To be honest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that was it for the three decks 
for Crimson Vow Modern. And to wrap things up, and uh, sorry, uh, I got I, I misread something while also saying your name. So, That's funny. That's uh, funny. So, uh, go on. So Emma. Have we got any Q&A to round out the episode? We do. So we have a flurry of questions from Snapbolt Burrell off the BMcast mm-hmm. Discord. So first they ask, has Angelo adopted any Britishisms yet? Hopefully not. Uh, he has, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> oh, no. um, the main one is that he started calling a jumper. Uh, instead, of, instead of calling something a sweater, he calls it a jumper now. Oh, that's fine. That's that's kind of it's an not, Irish thing as well. It's not so like it's, any yeah. like sort of slang or anything like that. It's just what we would use yeah. instead of what Americans incorrectly use. So he mm-hmm. started calling stuff jumpers. I also um, in, enlightened him on what Wellington boots are. Because he didn't know what Wellington boots were. Do you actually call them Wellington boots? Or wellies. Yeah, we, we call them wellies. Yeah. yeah, but he didn't know he didn't know what wellies were either. So I was like, okay, like it, it's New England. It rains. Surely you should know what wellies are. But okay, what, we'll get past what that. What did he? What did he originally call them? Like he wears Crocs, so like let's be yeah, honest. Yeah, but that that's that's like ankle high wellies with holes. So like, <laughs> yeah. I don't understand. I don't know. Like, what, what would he have called them? Like just like rubber foot coverings. Or like just I don't understand. Boots or something. I suspect like. It's just weird to me. Anyway, we're we'll get, we'll get, we'll going <laughs> off track. Um, Snapbot Bro has another question uh, for you, Scott. Okay. Is what are some of the best Irishisms? Okay, so a little bit of background on this. <laughs> when I when I said a minute ago, like hopefully not to Angelo picking up any Britishisms, uh, that was actually me responding earlier in the week to Snap Operal on the BMcast Discord. Yeah, and uh, he responded with, uh, "Well, what are some of the best Irishisms then?" And I had to go looking for some because. You know when it's like, oh, well, tell me something. You know, you're like, well, that's very, very broad question. So I had to do some digging to find some, like, correct things to, to respond here with. So, first of all, uh, Irishisms, the thing that you need to keep in mind about Irishisms in general is that the form of humour and stuff tends to be quite sarcastic. So the first one, for example, is, you know the way that, like, two negatives generally makes a positive, like a double negative is yeah. a positive. In Ireland, uh, a double positive is a negative. So if someone's like, oh, will you go and do that thing? If you go, I will, yeah. Like, I will, yeah. That means, no, I won't. Yeah. Right? That's one to, to keep in mind. The next Irishism is banjaxed, right? If something's banjaxed, that means it's broken or it's ruined. Okay. Like, if you make a terrible play in yeah. a modern game or something, you'd be like, ah, oh, banjax that. Yeah, you got know? it. So, notions is one that has sort of started to surface over the last, say, oh, really? 10 years or so. Yeah, yeah, absolute notions. So this is something that people get or have when they're trying to make themselves look more posh or fancy or well-to-do okay. than they actually are, you know? So if Angelo was to start, like, drinking his tea with his pinky out and, like, started, like, putting his, uh, like, popping his collar up and trying to, like, look all fancy oh, and stuff, regal. when we know that, like, he's just, like, he's just a chill dude... That that would mean that he's getting notions, you know. Right. Okay. We we see it an awful lot here with people uh, trying to you know do more like minimalist design and and like having like clean space in our in our house for like clean open mind and live laugh love and stuff. That's notions. That's absolute Got notions. It. Very pretentious. So, yeah, yeah. Then uh, there's making a bags of it, which is to say that <laughs> like, like you're failing thing. or making a mess of something. Yeah. You know, uh, I made a bags of that factor fiction pile. That's that's ruining it, you know. And then finally, this is the one that like perplexes Americans all the time because yes. of their like rampant drug problems, uh, and that is crack, right? <laughs> so crack means fun, right? Yeah. It is literally the Irish word for fun. C or A I C. Crack, fun. 
the crack? Uh, it's also usable as like, what's the crack or any crack, yeah. which means like, it's just a greeting, like, how are you or any news, that kind of thing. Yeah. So there's some Irishisms for you. Uh, take those on and um, hopefully don't get arrested with that last one. <laughs> the one that I, the one that surprised me when we started doing the podcast was when you mm-hmm. say something's gas. Well, because in England, we've adopted the American term for gas, which is, oh, that's yeah. great. That's on fire sort of thing. That's mm-hmm. lit or whatever. And then for, yeah. for Ireland, it's, it's a way to say something's funny, right? Like it's like laughing gas, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it, it's it's literally derived from laughing gas. Yeah. Um, it is if something's gas. If if an Irish person tells you that's gas, that's that's funny. Yes, you know, uh, so, which which yeah, I thought was really interesting because for some reason <laughs> we're becoming Americanized yet Ireland's closer to England. Anyway, moving on. Yeah, uh, and lastly, uh, Snapball Borrell asks best food and drink combo for Commander Night. Ooh, um, hmm, food and drink combo. I'm like I'm huge on pizza, but the problem with pizza is that it takes up an awful lot of table space. So I think mine is nachos. See, I try to avoid anything that can make a mess. So, <laughs> so, I do like nachos. I'm 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 big on sushi. Sushi's Sushi's good for good. a commander night. Yeah. Pretty clean. Um Yeah, yeah. Sushi's good. Uh, and drink, obviously beer, but that's me. Yeah, I'm good I'm good with cider. Like just just a cider is fine. I like given the option I probably won't drink because I've explained this before mm-hmm. the second alcohol touches my lips my magic playing ability drops by 40% so yeah I like that one time at a, <laughs> a, a PTQ a PPTQ yeah well no that was different I was hung over ah okay Sorry. My, my blood was my mostly bad. alcohol and it was making all the decisions okay uh, which led me to play better instead of overthinking but that's besides the point <laughs> uh, so James C on the BM Cast Discord asks, uh, "How do you know when a card isn't working, and when is it time to cut it?" I am going to go ahead and assume that this is for Commander, and it can be it can be difficult because in singleton formats, first of all, you have to draw the card, and then you have to play the card mm. and see how it plays. Now, what I've noticed a lot is I tend to cut cards that I have in my hand at several different points and don't play because it doesn't seem to show up uh, a circumstance where it's suitable to play or good to play. So that is the time most when I go, I'm going to cut it. I like If I'm not even willing to commit the resources into casting it in the first place, I don't care what it does on the board because if I can't see a circumstance in which I play this out, that it's going to turn out well, that's, that's the point for me, you know. Um, I generally find it hard to cut cards because... Like when a new set comes out, for example, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go update my commander decks. It takes me forever to add like two cards to a deck because I'm like, well, what am I taking out? You know, I have to basically break it down into like, what are the number of different things that do specific things in the deck? I just try and keep that balanced. So it's really hard to do in that circumstance. Mm. But generally speaking, yeah, if I, if I play a card and it doesn't do anything that I wanted to do or I see it just rotting in my hand on more than one occasion I usually just get ruthless with it and just rip it straight out yeah so. I'm similar when it comes to constructed so stuff like modern and pioneer if uh, obviously it might be easy for me because there might be multiples of them so I might run mm. a place of a particular card um, that's the best way to do for, for 
if I'm playing with a new card from a like a in a deck that I'm wanting to try out, I will probably just play four to begin with, just to get an idea of just improves that rate of me drawing it, so I get to play with it, mm. so I can make the decision on whether I need to keep it, and as good as I or bad as I thought it would be. Yeah. And also something I like to do is just ask people who I'm playing against. It's like, oh, what did you think of this card, sort of thing. Just get that feedback from people as well. Yeah. Because using that collectively, you can just decide whether you want to cut it, whether you want to trim a couple, you just want a one-off, or you just want them out completely. So it takes a little time, but once you know, you kind of know, I think, because you'll have enough yeah. data to go off. And yeah. Nublin has a question from the BMCast Discord. Uh, what was the inspiration behind your favourite deck? The question mm. is primarily for Commander, but Modern, Pauper, and Pioneer also works. Okay, so I have an answer for all of those formats i think so for commander i think my favorite would be lely of the blade reforged yeah. my inspiration behind that was i was doing the prosper pre-con upgrade for car mm. kingdom and i was like lely of the blade reforged should probably be in this deck because it's really really good mm. and then i saw that she was legendary i was like well what would a deck look like with her at the helm and yeah. it turns out it's great actually for modern i think my favorite modern deck that i have built that I got inspired by is the Empty Calories deck is the Mono Red Hollow yeah. one. And that was I want to play Asmarana Martica Dice and the Kuldakar and Hollow One. And they kind of synergize with each other because the Underworld Cookbook discards stuff or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then I just sort of started to put it all together because Hollow One was one of my, one of my favorite decks ever before the looting ban. And now it's nothing. But <laughs> it does actually play now, but it plays very differently. You know, it has a very, very rare like turn one burning inquiry uh, into like a couple of hollow ones kind of start but it's mostly able to just grind out like crazy now which is really cool but that was the inspiration behind that behind the mono blue tempo deck in pioneer that was the standard deck i was like i'm porting this over to pioneer because it's not good enough for modern but it's probably good enough for here and turns yeah. out it is and what was the other one for pauper the inspiration behind what is my what is my you got the walls deck, deck. Yeah, the wall sack was, was fine. I actually got rid of it because it was very one note. I Actually, I have a mono black sacrifice deck for Pauper. Nice. And that was really, really good because I saw that like nobody was really using like Mortician Beetle and Carrion Feeder and stuff. And I was like, nah, there's got to be a way to use these somehow. Mm -hmm. And it turns out there is. There's a lot of like really good sacrifice stuff now. So that was the inspiration behind that. How about yourself? Um, I don't think you have to list them all off. I no, just so happen to think of them one. all. So for... We'll go modern with Band Spirit. Mm -hmm. So that came like similar with you and Mono Blue from Standard to Pioneer. That was Azorius Monument into Band Spirits oh, yeah. from Standard to Modern. Because Blue White Monument is like my favourite favorite deck of all time. A favourite constructed deck I've ever played. Like mm. I played a lot in Standard. I did really well with it. It was just really fun. It's the kind of magic I enjoy playing. And I was just like, when it rotated out, I was just like, well, I still want to play this. This is really fun, you know. Mm -hmm. So I ported it to Modern. And then this is when, you know, you had your, your spell colours, collected companies, you, you had really good mana as well because it's modern. So I ported it to modern. And unfortunately, it's not really a thing anymore now, which is a shame. So I ported it to Pioneer instead because it's still yeah. really good there. So it's, it's, making, it's making a loop at the moment. So that's, that's yeah. my one, I think. Um, nice. And then lastly, Joe Cheney has a question from the BNCast Discord as well, which I assume for me because it's Great British Bake Off related. Mm -hmm. um, so it's Team Giuseppe or Team Jürgen, and it's Jürgen because Jürgen's great. He's just this really kind middle-aged man that's just you know just happy to be there and be very honest, a calm soul in a stressful kitchen. Vibin. Yeah. 
Thank you for listening to us here at the BMcast and a special thanks to our patrons. At the Cheering Fanatic tier we have Aliandro, Kilgore Tread 503, Max Makes Magic, The Jess Guy, The Joe Cheney, Nicholas Martin, Bradley Rose, Ian Holland, Christopher McCarthy, Tom Telford, Anton Clement, Edward Whitney, Evil Vanilla Glaze, Matthew O'Neill, Anthony Burchett and Morgan Roberts. At the Stonks tier we have Anga Orr, Scott Creech, Simon Grip, Brian Madden, A Nice Planeswalker, Nerblin, Everett Brogan, Alex Gibson, Bo Schwartz Madsen, Mickey Paris, Mark Davis, Coffee, Spencer Stack, and Zachary Morrow. Thank you all for helping to keep this podcast on the air. We cannot thank you enough. If you want to support us and add your name to this list of lovely and wonderful people, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the BMcast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagicast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at the BMcast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck.